Did some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in this ministry of His. May He be with you and us tonight. Heart of the Matter can be seen right now from anywhere in the world through streaming video. All you need to do is go to www.hotm.tv, click on streaming, and tell your friends they can watch uh, anywhere. They can also go and watch any of our archive programs as well. So... Um, the 300th show last week, we had some uh, audio difficulties. We apologize. Uh, some audio modulations going up and down the sound. Uh, and that happens, uh, but we uh, are sorry about that. And also getting that show up online, we've had some technical difficulties. So please be patient with us as we struggle with technical difficulties every day of this ministry's life. Join us as we seek to support the Salt Lake Rescue Mission as they endeavor to uh, feed and clothe the homeless and less fortunate. How can you help bring new socks in the wrappers, please? And or gently used or new coats for men or women between 9 and 3, 9 in the morning, 3 p.m. here at the station, 314 South Redwood Road, and uh, Monday through Friday, and uh, we'll take them over for you. We've had great success in all the programs on TV20 announcing this and getting these uh, uh, items over to the rescue mission on your behalf. Well, it's the first year of 2012, and time to remind you of our Aletheia ambassadors. What they are are people who are kind of stationed out there in the nation and world who are waiting for people who are interested in knowing more about Jesus, coming out of Mormonism, anything else like that, to be contacted. And every now and again, we get an email from somebody in Pascagoula, Mississippi, who says, hey, I want to uh, find out more about getting out of the church. And uh, I, uh, we connect them up with uh, somebody in Pascagoula, Mississippi area, who's an Aletheia ambassador. And that way you have somebody to friendship fellowship with, somebody who's a biblical, uh, Bible-believing uh, Christian. So here's our most current list.
Poor Max has got to cover the entire United Kingdom by himself. Listen, uh, if you want to talk to an Alethea ambassador, just write us, Sean, at alatheamedia.com, and uh, we'll put you in touch. Also, if you want to be an ambassador, write us at the same place. Now, listen, those of you who have uh, signed up to be ambassadors and you're sitting there and nothing's happening, you're like waiting cell groups out there. And as Mormonism continues to become more prolific and uh, in your face, you're going to be used more and more. So be patient with us. Uh, believe me, if someone comes and you're living in that area, we'll put you in contact with them. And this is just preparing the way for what is going to come about down the road. Additionally, uh, being it's the first of the month, we remind all churches in the state of Utah that there's an opportunity for them to be uh, transitions trained. And what does that mean? It means there's a wonderful program that's been developed, a video program with a manual, etc., uh, to help the body of Christ in Utah to help assimilate LDS people into their church. So here's a current list of transitions trained churches in the state. Transitions. Now listen, it doesn't cost you anything to be transitions trained. Uh, you just uh, contact uh, the transitions people. Hopefully we have a, 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 a graphic on the screen. And uh, just email uh, the address that's on there. And once your church is transitions trained, we'll add you to the list so that people who watch the show and are thinking of coming out of Mormonism can walk into the doors of your church and know there'll be somebody there who kind of knows uh, how to lead them. Speaking of churches, we do church on Sundays. Uh, we consider this a boutique church. It's a very, has a specific application for a specific type of person. Uh, we have a unique approach to doing church. It's called campus. It's totally deconstructed. It's based on studying the word verse by verse only, and we even sing only the word of God. Uh, it's low-key, and it's short but action-packed. 10 a.m., we call milk. We're going through the book of Matthew. Uh, 2.30 p.m. is called Meet. We go through the book of Romans and uh, expect the teaching to kind of match accordingly to those names. You want more information, go to www.campus.com with hyphens between C-A-M-P-U-S. Even though uh, the holiday gift buying season is over and everybody's probably in debt, uh, we have entered into 2012, a year when the nation is going to be deciding on a president. If there happens to be one who's LDS, there's a video out there, and it's called A Mormon President. And Aletheia Ministry pre presents this video to you for your uh, consideration. Take a look. Is America ready for a Mormon president? I would love to see Mitt Romney go to the White House. Yes, I think America's ready for a Mormon president. No way a Mormon is going to get in the White House. The odds of him being elected president are zero. What happened when the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith ran for president? If America knew the power seeking that was in Joseph that continues to be in the LDS church today, they would be very frightened to have a Mormon president. Was there a political conspiracy to murder Joseph Smith? Is anti-Mormon prejudice still alive and well in America today? I've gotten several comments of like, you're a Mormon and you're in a cult. Their doctrine does not reflect Christian teaching as we understand it. It makes me 
crazy if somebody ever accuses me of not being Christian. And the name of the church says it all right there. Why are Americans in such disagreement about the Mormon church? They would love to take over the world, and I think they believe that they will someday do it. There's a lot of rumors out there, and most of them without basis. Every single thing connected to Mormonism is a byproduct of the embodiment of Joseph Smith. He had been dragged from his home in an effort to kill him, and a Protestant minister was a member of that mob. Today, Protestant leaders reject Joseph Smith as a false prophet. You can't understand the challenge facing Mitt Romney until you know the untold story of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Explore the controversy surrounding Joseph Smith and the Mormon quest for the White House. Prophet of God, polygamist, politician, who was Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith is a puzzle. Larger than life. I would say Christ-like. It would have to be charlatan. He was a mighty prophet. A mighty prophet of God. Join the debate, the drama. Make your decision. Is America ready for a Mormon president? Additionally, Mormonism A to Z, our newest and third book, probably the most uh, user-friendly uh, and applicable to the Mormon Christian debate is out, but it's sold out. The first uh, printing was sold out. We are in the process of uh, getting 5,000 more printed up, uh, and by this Friday we should have more in hand. There are not even any available at Lifeway Christian Bookstore. So uh, those of you who have ordered them and haven't gotten them, they are going to be sent out in the next few days, uh, God willing. Well, 2012 is upon us. Uh, Lathia Ministries, in conjunction with KTMW TV 20, is going to begin airing a new television program in February. Its title, it's called The X-Files. It'll be hosted by Bishop Earl with each program focusing on you, your journey, uh, your life being LDS, your journey out of being uh, Mormon, and into a saving relation with Lord Jesus Christ as a born-again Christian. Uh, if you were once LDS and now a born-again Christian, we invite you to contact us by writing www.xmormonfiles.tv, www.xmormonfiles.tv, and uh, tell us about yourself, and uh, we'll give you an online form, and Bishop Earl will set up a meeting to talk about you, because we're starting to get those uh, shows put in the can, as they say, and stockpiled to begin airing for you in the coming month. How about a moment from the Word? A couple of weeks ago, uh, prior to going to our 300th celebration last week, we were talking about the Lord's first uh, miracle of changing water into wine. And um, that's found in John chapter 2. And one more thought on it and about the symbolism of the elements that uh, Jesus said that his believers should partake of when they take their sacrament. Uh, unleavened bread or bread without yeast is symbolic of Jesus being without sin holy, not putrefied, not puffed up. The unleavened bread obviously doesn't rise. It's not puffed up. And that's why Jesus said and ate the unleavened bread at the Passover meal with the disciples. And he said, eat this in memory of me. But the alcoholic contact in fermented wine is equally symbolic. Why? Just as alcohol serves to disinfect some microbial invaders, uh, so does our king disinfect sin. And, uh, 
and by and through his shed blood and are believing upon it. These things are not straight across perfect applications, but they were meaningfully applied. And that's why Jesus used, and that's why the Jews drank uh, wine and ate uh, unleavened bread. It's because of these elements being symbolic of the Christ, the Messiah to come. When I was LDS, a Boy Scout, for instance, we took a trip down a river and we found ourselves out in, out in the wilderness one Sunday and our brilliant leaders decided, hey, listen, we should have a sacrament meeting, but there were no loaves of Wonder Bread laying around. Uh, uh, so what did we use? We used dehydrated brownie mix for the bread and microbial river water for the water or the wine. Uh, as boys not knowing or caring about the Lord, we just loved it. We thought it was the funniest thing that we could eat brownies mix and, and, uh, and, and river water, uh, uh, not recognizing the import of what Jesus' blood meant to each of us uh, at that time. So while snickering and nudging each other, our leaders administered these elements in an attempt to somehow get us to participate in this religious rite. Looking at it now, I'm not sure there's much difference between what happens in the LDS sacrament meetings today. They, they go and use store-bought bread, they use pumpernickel, they use uh, water. They don't care about these elements that Jesus specifically and have historically been passed down uh, to believers and to his chosen uh, covenant people, the children of Israel. So that's just a little finalized thought I thought I had to get in here before we continue on through the book of John. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, need you and come to you and ask you to be with us as we uh, talk about these elements of uh, the Book of Mormon and the things that uh, they are, the Book of Mormon is constructed uh, from. We pray you'll be with our viewing audience, wherever they may be, our volunteers, our staff, and those who are seeking for truth, God. We pray that you will use us and uh, to help them see. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few weeks ago, prior to the 300th show, I strongly suggested that Mormonism, meaning Mormonism with Joseph Smith as a prophet, not Mormonism going all the way back to 1820 when he was a 14-year-old boy, just Mormonism with Joseph Smith suddenly calling himself a prophet, began after a series of troubling events in June of 1828. Uh, uh, but before we talk about that, I have to give you a quick reminder of something. I'm going to go to this board over here to, to show you what this is. All right. This year, we are, we are likening the Book of Mormon to the cultivation of a religious fraud. And we had these made up in last year. Uh, about half the year, we covered the same topic. And what we're talking about is the cultivation of the Book of Mormon or what we call the Book of Mormonian. Okay. And so uh, what we do is we liken the Book of Mormon to the growth of an onion and where you've got to start peeling back the layers bit by bit by bit before you're going to be able to get to the core issue uh, that the thing is a fraud. And so we call it the Book of Mormonian and we use the growing, the cultivation of an onion to illustrate um, the whole process that Joseph Smith went through to produce this uh, religious con of a book. Now, what we did is we said there's some necessary elements. If we can focus in on that, hopefully you can see it. But the first necessary element was the ground that Joseph Smith had to find. And we called that the early American setting in which Joseph Smith lived. And we covered that back in the first shows. And then there had to be a seed for this Book of Mormonian. And we called that the Joseph Smith Sr. and Lucy Max Smith family. Those are Joseph's parents. They actually provided the seed for Joseph saying, we need another book to come forward to help correct all of Christianity as it is today. And that happened when he was very young and progressed on through his life. Then we have the ground, we have the seed, and we needed fertilizer. 
in order to fertilize this, this Book of Mormonian seed. And so that was the folk magic in the 19th century influences upon Joseph Smith that helped him come a, a kind of fertilize and germinate these seeds of, of the Book of Mormonian that were in his head uh, in a nascent state when he was a young kid. And then we have the planting. This is when he starts seeing that he had visits from the angel Moroni and the translation chronology, how he started to so supposedly translate this book. Finally, we have the watering, and that's the translation process and the people that were involved. And we're kind of in the midst of these three things here right now. We're kind of crossing over to all of this. And then we have a pesticide. We have something that sprouted up in this whole growing of the Book of Mormonian, and that was the lost 116 pages. Suddenly there was vermin or there was uh, weeds that were threatening the Book of Mormon's survival. And that was the loss of the 116 pages. So pesticide had to be applied. And then we're going to get to the harvest, the, the witnesses of the plates and, and the publishing of the Book of Mormonian, etc. In the, the rest of this year, we are going to actually take the Book of Mormon and we're going to go through every chapter and we're going to assign all the factors that played into it, the early American setting, his parents, the, the magic and folklore uh, in his life, uh, other contributors who helped him translate the book. And we're going to show you uh, almost through, through each chapter how these things were brought into the Book of Mormonian. And by the end of this program and the end of the year, you will see from the beginning shows of last year all the way through uh, this 2012, what a fraud the thing really is. All of this uh, is a result, I'm going to come over here to two, all of this was a result of Joseph, uh, of, um, oh, what was his name, Jeffrey Holland, Apostle Jeffrey Holland, standing up in general conference last April, I believe, and saying that the Book of Mormon, you'd have to crawl and, and scramble and try your best to exit the church, and you'd have to get around this Book of Mormon being such an irrefutable piece of historical beautiful uh, religious literature given by God to man. And when he said that, it just angered me so much. We said, well, we're going we're gonna to devote an exhaustive uh, view of this book so that we can talk about exactly how Joseph Smith did it, and, and that's how it all started. Okay, so in 1828, June, you have to remember that, um, that this was the beginning of Mormonism proper, proper. Why do we say that? Let me give you one example. Joseph Smith's mother and his brothers, two of them, were devout members of the Presbyterian Church. They were devout members all the way up until June or July of 1828. Now, Joseph Smith said in 1820, when he was a 14-year-old boy, that God told him that all the churches were not true, that all the sects were corrupted, that their professors were corrupt, their creeds were an abomination to him. And it wasn't until June of 1828 that Joseph Smith's own mother and two brothers left the Presbyterian Church. Why, if he had this vision in 1820, would they wait eight years before leaving one of these corrupt, abominable churches that the prophet Joseph Smith had a vision of God the Father telling him that no, they were all true? Why would they wait these eight years? Because Joseph never had that first vision, as we've pointed out several times. And it wasn't until June of 1828 that real Mormonism started to take root. Why? Because it was in June of 1828, after losing the 116 pages, after uh, having his wife almost die and a stillborn son coming forth that was totally deformed, after being rejected by the local congregation to be a member of it because of his reputation, that Joseph Smith decided to suddenly start speaking for God. 
And when in June of 1828, Joseph started speaking for God as a prophet, after all kinds of years of build up to this point, his family, his mom and his two brothers said, oh, I guess the real church is now about to start and we're going to join it. And Joseph really, uh, I guess, is a prophet, is a prophet of God. So um, we also said two weeks ago, we don't know how uh, many, how long it had been between Martin Harris losing the 116 pages and Joseph Smith beginning to retranslate. I want to correct that. In September of 1828, so the, the pages are known lost in June of, of 1828, July, August, in September of that year, Joseph Smith's parents went and visited he and Emma out in Pennsylvania, and Joseph told them that he had started to translate the book again. This is an important bit of information because the LDS loved to paint this picture in the missionary teachings to the world that Joseph Smith finally gets the plates, he sits down, he translates them to Oliver Cowdery in a matter of 60 to 90 days, and this miraculous book comes forward. This is kind of how it's painted. But this is just not so. This isn't how it happened. You see, by promoting this farce, LDS missionaries get people to believe that the production of the Book of Mormon prior to publication was miraculous, and therefore God was behind the whole thing. And they do this by saying it happened in 60 to 90 days. Well, let me just step back and give you some facts to remember, okay? The first thing to remember, in fact, I'm going to use this board uh, to, to display this, okay? The first thing to remember is that well before Joseph Smith, I'm going to turn it this way. Can you see it this way? Well before Joseph Smith uh, got the Book of Mormon plates or before he had a vision of the angel Moroni, he would tell stories to his family at night about Book of Mormon characters, how they lived, uh, what they did, etc., etc. This was before the angel came to him. This was before he received the plates. This is going way back to 1822, 1823, okay? And so then as we move along, then we come up and he announced the existence of the said plates in 1823. So now he says an angel came to him and told him there were some plates in, buried in a hill. This is when it's announced, 1823. But... Uh, we go on, and um, <laughs> Joseph claims he received the gold plates four years later, okay? So, just to show you, he first has been telling stories about what supposedly existed here in the Americas of these people. He then says in 1823 he actually is told of the plates, and four years later he says he gets the plates, Okay, so we have four years here where he has been able to develop an outline, at least, um, uh, some type of general um, view of what the book would be about. It's not a matter of 60 or 90 days of Joseph Smith coming up with this thing. It's a matter of four, and, uh, four years, four months that he says he received the, uh, the gold plates. Okay, after this point, we have a story that is very different from Joseph Smith getting the plates, sitting down and translating them in those days. Okay. And then it was January of 1828, four months after he got these plates, so another four months, that he says uh, that he started to translate. So that is January 1828.
8 now that he says he starts to actually translate. This has nothing to do with a period of time of sitting down and 60 to 90 days later, this coming forward when he first sits down. We have four years, four months that Joseph says he now is beginning to translate. So um, ask yourselves, would this be enough time for somebody, uh, four years, four months, at least to flesh out a general outline for a book, especially if you were reading all sorts of books that were very popular at that time about civilizations being in the Americas that came from ancient places like Jerusalem? I would have to say yes, certainly. So by June 14th of 1828, the first 116 pages had been tediously produced at the rate of one page per day, less than one page per per day. And then Martin Harris loses those first 116 pages that were translated. And in the face of these lost pages and the personal tragedies mentioned before, Joseph is forced to reevaluate his direction and his forthcoming book called The Book of Mormon. In the end, he claims he conveniently received a revelation after the lost pages, and this would be the first revelation of many, where Joseph Smith is now starting to consider himself a prophet. He had nothing to lose. The churches rejected him. He was having bad trouble in his personal life with his wife and his health and the children dying, and he had lost the first 116 pages. His only recourse would be, I've got to start having God speak to me and tell people what God is saying to cover his tracks. Two other important things about God speaking to him. First, the Lord tells him when he does start uh, back up translating the plates after the 116 pages are taken by Martin Harris's wife, the Lord tells Joseph, go back to the plates, but translate from another section that tells the same story that you uh, wrote in the first 116 pages. This other section is going to give you more information about my gospel. So we can see that it went from being a ancient American history with the first 116 pages, those are taken by someone and hidden, waiting away to see what the next translation will bring. And so then the second translation becomes a religious book. And Joseph starts receiving revelations from God and Joseph Smith starts becoming the prophet. His mom and his brothers leave the Presbyterian church at this point and there's this whole movement afoot to uh, suddenly help him get this new church, this restored church going. 